0: You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church, please visit harvestbrampton.ca. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you by your spirit and we do pray that you would give us Jesus pray that as your word is opened Lord that the emphasis would not be on the messenger but on the message of Jesus Christ dying in our place that as we hear baptism testimonies today Lord that we wouldn't just hear about five individuals but we would hear about the power of Jesus to transform lives and so God we pray that you would do what only you can do and that you would speak so powerfully and move such a clear way, Lord, that's just unquestionably you. Our eyes so that we can see Jesus. Give us Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. When was the last time you felt like an outsider? Everyone else knew what was going on but you? Everyone else seemed to know what to do except you. Everyone else seemed to fit in except you. That's a horrible way to feel, isn't it? I mean, it's intimidating. It's awkward. We try to avoid those situations as best that we can. We we try to end those situations as quickly as possible. We spend most of our lives, actually, uh, consciously, and, sometimes unconsciously, just trying to fit in. Do you ever notice you spend time with someone who has a certain accent? You start to mimic their accent? Or if they kind of talk with their hands, then you start to talk with their hands. Why? Because we're, we're trying to fit in with the person that we're talking to. We're trying to sound like them. We're trying to act like them. Because we think that that will mean that we will fit in with them. That we will be accepted. But sometimes it just doesn't happen, no matter how hard we try. There are certain boundaries. Maybe it's a cultural boundary. I mean, in cities like Brampton and Mississauga, you don't have to go too far where you're in a situation where you don't speak the language. You're, you're, you're in a store or, or at a party, and, and all of a sudden everyone breaks into speaking a Punjabi or Spanish or Urdu or, or whatever it may be, and you're totally lost. You feel like you don't fit in. Now, sometimes we experience uh, in, in a very harsh way, because of racial or ethnic prejudice, that even though we're speaking the same language, we are left outside because of the color of our skin. Or our background, no matter how hard we try, sometimes we just can't fit in. Sometimes we look at the clothes we're wearing and the clothes that other people are wearing. Sometimes people can be speaking English, but they're, they're, they're so academic and the, the kinds of words that they use are just going over your head. And you feel like you don't fit in because you don't have the same education or the, the same background. You didn't go to the same kinds of schools. Sometimes we feel like we don't fit in because of our behavior. Some of us here have experienced the pain of being rejected by a certain group, whether it be by our family, or by our friends, or by our coworkers, workers of, of being rejected because of something we've done, because of our behavior, a choice that we, that we, that we acted on, a decision that we made. And because of that, a, a group of people have rejected us. They've, they now treat us like an outcast. They've ostracized us. Others of us feel that because of some things that we've done, well, why bother even trying? If people really knew who I was, if people really knew my story, I would never be accepted. Some people feel that because of some things, not that that you have done, but because of some things that have been done to you, and and the pain of what has happened to you, and the isolation and the alienation that you feel because of that causes you to feel like you are this outcast that no one understands, no one accepts me, I'm carrying this, this wound or this burden with me. If you're here today and, and you feel like an outcast, maybe you feel like an outcast in church. Maybe this is their, your first time in church and, and everyone seems to know when to sing and how to clap and when to stand up and sit down. Maybe you feel like an outcast right here, right now. I, just, I want you to understand that if you feel like an outcast and you feel all alone, I want you to understand that you're not alone. That every single human being on the planet struggles with this whole idea of, am I accepted? Do I fit in? Or am I an outcast? Am I put off to the side? And what we're going to see today is as we turn to God's word, we're going to see that, listen, the Bible doesn't just tell us about God. The Bible tells us about ourselves, One of the reasons why my life has been transformed by the message of the Bible is not simply because what it's taught me about God and how amazing God is, but because the Bible speaks directly to what is going on in my heart. And the Bible has a lot to say about feeling like an outcast, about being an outsider, longing to be made an insider. And you may not be familiar with the Bible. You may not have a Bible in your hands right now. You see a bunch of people with Bibles. Listen, lots of people don't bring Bibles with them to the church. That's because we've got ushers who come up and down the aisle right now. We want to make sure you're able to follow along in the Bible. So if you don't have a Bible, put your your hand up and they'll put one into your hands. And I want you to find uh, the book of Acts. Uh, Today is a baptism service. And maybe you haven't been to a baptism service before and before we get into the baptisms, we're going to have a sermon, which is a, just a message based upon God's word. And maybe you've never sat through a sermon before. Or maybe it's been a long time since you've been in church. But what we're going to do uh, this morning is there's one loved one right over here on the, on the far right side, ushers. We see someone with their hand up uh, making our way over there. Okay, great. And what we're going to do is we are going to look at the very first sermon ever given and the very first baptism service ever in the history of the church. So what we're doing this Sunday is happening all over the cities, happening all over the countries, happening all over the world. People are teaching God's word, and people are getting baptized. And and in order to make sense of what does this mean, why are we doing this, we're going to go back to the very first sermon, to the very first baptism service. And what we're going to see in Acts chapter 2 is that God lovingly and patiently pursues outsiders and welcomes them into his family. That that is really the heart of God, that 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 is really the message of the Bible. And if you ever feel like you're an outsider, like you don't fit in, if you feel right now like you don't fit in, you need to understand that the Bible reveals that the reason why we have that disconnection with other people, the reason why we live in this constant anxiety over the issue of acceptance is because there's something happening beneath the surface, There is an acceptance and a rejection that is far more important than fitting in with your family or with your co workers or with your peer group. You see, all of our worry, all of our angst, and our fear about fitting in and belonging with other humans stems from the fact that there's a disconnection between how we relate to God. And our relationship with God is broken, the Bible tells us. And because that is broken, everything else is broken. And because we're not at peace with God, we don't have that peace with one another in the way that we relate to one another. So we're going to start in Acts chapter 2 and find verse 22. This is kind of the middle of Peter's sermon. The first Christian sermon ever given. And we're just going to read a couple of verses here. In verse 22, and then we're going to jump to how the people responded. Look at verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up. Loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. That was Peter's me- That's the core of Peter's message. Now look with me at verse 37. This is how the people responded. Verse 37 says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. We're going to see uh, just really two things that help us understand what baptism is all about. We're going to spend most of our time on the first one. That's on page one of your uh, handout. Here's, Here's the first thing that we need to understand about baptism. Fundamentally, baptism is about responding to God's word. Baptism is about responding to God's word. Verse 37 says, they heard this. This is referring to that little section in, in Peter's message, really the whole message that we read in verse 22. They were, they were responding to what Peter had to say about Jesus. Now everyone here has probably heard something about Jesus. He's one of the most recognizable figures, although he's largely ignored by contemporary historians teaching in universities today. No person has had a greater influence on the planet than Jesus of Nazareth. He's a pretty big deal. And as much as people try to suppress him or cast him to the side... He, he is central to the story of human history and he is central to the lives of hundreds of people who are here right now. Thousands of people across our country and millions of people around the world. Jesus is central and he, he, says, he describes Jesus in this way. He calls him Jesus of Nazareth. That's the town where he grew up. He was born in Bethlehem. But when he was was growing up, it was in this this region called uh, Nazareth. And then it says, he was a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. Jesus is universally known as a miracle Worker. Now people have spent their lives and wrote entire Ph.D. dissertations and volumes and volumes of books trying to disprove that Jesus performed these kinds of miracles. But you cannot deny that Jesus was universally known at the time of his life inside the Bible and outside the Bible as being a miracle worker like the world had never seen before. Contemporary non-Christian historians writing the history of the world at that time mentioned Jesus being known for performing miracles. Peter here himself talking about Jesus and his miracles. Look at at the end of verse 22. You yourselves know this would have been a perfect opportunity for the crowd that was listening to peter a couple of people to raise up their hand and say hey you know what i spent i spent tons of time with jesus i never saw him perform a miracle how can you verify those miracles no it was it was taken for granted you yourselves know That there was something about Jesus that was a little bit different. Walking on water is not normal. Feeding thousands of people with a brown bag lunch is not normal. Looking at someone who is cold and dead for hours or even days and then speaking to them and having them raise up. Going to someone who has been lame from birth, unable to walk with no muscles in their legs and telling them to get up and walk. That is not normal. Jesus was not normal. And every single person on planet earth has to, has to come to grips with how will I personally respond to the person of Jesus Christ. Here's something that's so unique about Jesus. I'm not sure if you've ever noticed this. You look at all of the world religions today. Jesus is a part of every world religion. Sikhs believe that Jesus was a greatly enlightened man. Hindus believe in every god. Of course they believe in Jesus. Muslims believe that Jesus was a great prophet. I mean, you can't even find an atheist who's willing to say anything negative about Jesus. Every major worldview wants Jesus on their team. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever noticed that Muhammad's only on one team? Have you ever noticed that the gurus of Sikhism, Guru Nanak, he's only on one team. He's only on the Sikh team. Have you ever noticed that, that Ganesh and Vishnu, the Hindu gods, they're only on the Hindu team? It's a big team. 33 million on that team. Have you noticed that, Jesus, that every single religion wants Jesus on their team? There's no one like that in all, all, all other religions. Because there's no one like Jesus. And every religion has had to try to find a way to say, how do we... Respond to Jesus. And every single world religion has said, we're going we're to try to include him into, into our religion. But Jesus said, no, listen, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's only one guy on our team. His name is Jesus. He is the most important person in all of human history. And Peter is challenging the crowd in the first sermon. What are you going to do with Jesus? How are you going to respond to him, his miracles, his teaching." And I want to challenge you today, how have you responded to this person, Jesus? Maybe you know very little about him. Maybe you've studied him in school. You think you know what he's about. How have you personally responded to the fact that he performed these miracles, that he's so universally, widely renowned, revered, and respected? Well, how do the people in Jesus' day respond to him? Verse 23 says, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. How was was Jesus received? How was this great miracle worker? How was this perfect embodiment of selfless love and kindness and mercy? How was he received? He was crucified. What did humankind do with the very best that was offered to them? The most purest, the most beautiful, the most loving human being who ever walked the earth. was. What does that tell us about humankind? That someone so, so innocent, so intrinsically good would be cast out of the city, would be nailed to two pieces of wood and left there to suffocate to death. But as Peter mentions here, this wasn't some sort of tragedy. This wasn't some sort of accident that never should have happened. It said in verse 23, this Jesus delivered up, notice this, according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You see, although the people of Jesus' day were held responsible and accountable for the decision that they made to have Jesus crucified, It was all part of God's master plan. Jesus came to die. He came to die in our place. The creator of life came and experienced death. It's interesting. We all have this uptightness over the idea of being an outcast. You need to understand that if you feel that way, Jesus is right there with you. You're afraid of being an outcast. You feel like you are an outcast. Listen, Jesus suffered and died on the cross as an outcast. Why why did he suffer and die in that way? Why did Jesus need to come and die? Why was this part of God's plan? Why couldn't Jesus just have come and said, hey, just try loving each other? Why did he need to die such a bloody and cruel and horrible death? Well, in order to understand that, you need to understand not just Acts chapter 2, but the whole story of the Bible. You see, in, in the very first book, the book of Genesis, there's the first two human beings ever created, Adam and Eve. And some of us are familiar from cartoons and that sort of thing. This is how it went down with Adam and Eve. They had to obey only one rule. Just don't eat the forbidden fruit. And some of us are familiar with the story. They chose to eat the fruit. And then Adam and Eve were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. They were kicked out of paradise. So Adam and Eve then are outcasts. But the story actually goes much deeper than that. In Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve eat the fruit, it's not that Adam and Eve become outcasts. They do become outcasts eventually, but they actually made God the outcast. Because when they ate the fruit, it wasn't because it was particularly juicy or tasty or sweet. It was what lay behind the fruit because the serpent told them that if they were to eat the fruit, they would become like God. God. And if they become like God, then they wouldn't need God anymore. And so in choosing to eat the fruit, they were telling God, you know what? You're an outcast. We don't need you anymore. We're going to do things our own way. And human beings have been doing it ever since. I mean, we, we belittle God. We ignore God. We mock god we act like we don't need god and when we choose to acknowledge his presence we often question him we often blame him for things that have gone wrong in our lives we often bargain with him as though we had some sort of leverage i'm in a foreign country i lost my passport and my wallet god if you get me out of this situation i promise oh wait there it is never mind god And God has lovingly and mercifully tried to open our eyes to this because we don't always see it. I mean, if you start to ignore someone or something long enough, it just becomes part of the background. It's like white noise. But God has given us his word. He's given the Ten Commandments. And the, the first four of the Ten Commandments are all about how we relate to God. Using his name in vain. We've all, we've all broken that command. Not, not worshipping him first, but worshipping other things like, like ourselves. How about, thou shalt not lie. All of these times we're reminded about how we've turned our back on the God of truth and chosen to lie. God's given us, He's given us all of these reminders. He's given us, He's given us His commands, He's also given us our conscience. Not some Jiminy Cricket character on our shoulder, but something deep inside of us that says, what you're doing is not right. Not only, the, not only our conscience, he's also given us consequences. That when we choose to sin, so often we actually choose to suffer. And it might be pleasurable for a moment. You might be buzzing one night, but the next morning there's a hangover. And, and the consequences remind us that what we're doing is not right. And God is lovingly, continually calling us back. To himself, through his commands, through our conscience, through consequences, and ultimately through Christ. Jesus came and suffered and died on the cross. Now, but why did he have to die? Well, God told Adam and Eve, if you eat the forbidden fruit, you will surely die. Now, they didn't keel over when they took the first bite. But Adam and Eve did die. And every single human being after them died. I'm not sure if you've looked at the stats right now, but the mortality rate is still 100%. Human beings die. Why do we die? Because death is a consequence of sin. When we turn away from the author of life, the natural consequence is death. And the Bible talks about, listen, there is a life beyond this life if we choose to do things God's way and there is a death after this death something that Jesus warned us about repeatedly a place called hell the ultimate consequence for our sin because we've turned away from the creator and the sustainer of life so Jesus came to die as a substitute he came to die the death that all of us deserved to die. That when he hung and bled on the cross, he was telling his father, Punish me instead. Blame me. Pour out your anger and your wrath, all of your judgment, all of your justice, God. Pour it on me instead of them. That's why Jesus came to die. But he didn't stay dead. Look with me at verse 24. Peter says, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death. Notice this, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Death is for sinners. Death is for people who turn away from God. If you turn away from the author of life, the consequence is death. Jesus died, but it was impossible for death to hold him because Jesus was innocent. Jesus was perfect. Jesus never sinned. He never turned away from God. And so it was impossible, even though temporarily he stood in our place, to satisfy the wrath of God. Three days later, he rose again. And what we're going to see today is we're going to hear the story of five different people about how their life has changed. How they've experienced a resurrection in their own life. How their life has been transformed because they know what Jesus did for them in dying for them and rising again. And that rather than expecting a second death after this death, we now look forward to another life after this life. Because that's what Jesus came to give. To give us the gift of eternal life. And maybe you're hearing this today and maybe you've heard lots of sermons before or lots of religious lectures before. But maybe you're hearing something right now and something's actually clicking. Things are actually fitting together and, and making sense. Well, if that's happening to you right now, that's exactly what happened in Acts chapter 2. And maybe you're wondering, well, how should, how should I respond? What should I do? Verse 37 says, now when they heard this, when they heard what Peter said about Jesus and the miracles and him dying and him being raised again, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? How should we respond? If this is what God's word says and this is all about responding to God's word, how then should we respond? And Peter said then, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins. So he, he, he gives the instruction to get baptized in there and that's what we're going to do here. But something needs to happen before baptism. There needs to be what Peter calls, there needs to be repentance. A repent is not a word that we use every day. You might feel like an outsider because I've never heard the word repent. I've only you know, seen people on, on street corners with big signs screaming that we're supposed, to. what does repent actually mean? Well, repent, it's a, it's a military term. And it's a a term that a general would use if the army is marching in one direction, and then the the general would yell, repent, and then what the army then would turn 180 degrees and start to head in the different direction while they're marching. The the etymology behind the word of, of repent means to to change your mind. You were thinking, your thinking was headed in one direction and now your mind has changed and now you're going in a different direction. So at the core of repentance is this idea of turning. I used to live for myself and now I am living for God. I used to make mistakes for my, I used to make excuses for my, my mistakes and my sins. But now I take full responsibility that I've sinned against God. I used, I used to be all about me and now I am all about Jesus. Repent. And then he says to be baptized. and He says for the forgiveness of your sins. Baptism is a is a picture, of, it is a it is a physical happens in in real water. It is an outward physical symbol that paints a picture of something that has happened inside someone's heart. Repentance is a, a decision that you make within yourself, and then baptism is how you symbi- symbolically show God how you symbolically show all those around you that something has changed that you have. And baptism ultimately shows that you've been welcomed into God's family. And so jot this down secondly, that baptism is about belonging. It's about belonging to God's family. Jesus came down as the Son of God. But he died as an outcast so that we who are outcasts could become sons and daughters of God. So that we could be welcomed into God's family. So that we don't have to feel like outcasts. But there's that sin between us and God that we need to repent of. That we need to confess of. And that's why baptism happens in water. First of all, water is this universal symbol for cleanse, being cleansed it's this universal symbol for washing and renewal and vitality and so that's why baptism happens in water to show that you've been cleansed from your sin and that's why when the person gets baptized that they go under the water because it's like a burial and it's an identification that Jesus died and was buried and so I am going under the water because I used to be living this way and I want to be dead to that way because I've repented. So I go under the water to show that I'm dead to my old way of life. And then, just as Jesus came out of the tomb, we come out of the water. And just as Jesus, from From the grave conquer death. We come out of the tank to show that Jesus has conquered the power of death in our own lives. And that we are not living just a normal everyday life anymore. But our life is now filled with the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. That's why it says at the end of verse 38, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, that you have a new life. You're no longer just living for you and your desires, but God's Spirit actually comes and lives inside of the Christian and transforms us from the inside out. And I love this in verse 39. Who is this for? Verse 39 says, this promise is for you. And, and, and for your children, and for all who are far off. He says, it, he says it's for you. And I'm, I'm telling you the same thing today. This is for you. This isn't for someone else. This invitation to new life, to forgiveness of sins, it's for you today. He says, it's, it's for your children. It transcends generations. He says, it's for all those who are far off. It transcends geography. You might feel like you're so far off. You might feel like you're such an outcast, like you don't belong I love this. It says, for everyone who is far off, at the end of verse 39, whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Is God calling you today to say, stop running from me. Repent and turn towards me. Look, I sent you my son to die for me. I want to spend eternity with you. This message is for you. It's not too late. You're not too far. Turn and repent today. Verse 40 says, and with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them. And so what we have here, this isn't a word for word transcript of everything Peter said, but the, the narrator here says he 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 wanted the people to turn and to believe. And so he used many other words. And he says, Save yourself from this crooked and generation, from this crooked generation. Verse 40 41. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. God's family got a lot bigger that day. 3,000 people were added, became part of the family of God because they had repented. And that repentance was then symbolized in that baptism. And the people who were already part of God's family were saying, welcome, welcome. God's our father. We're brothers and sisters now. And what we're gonna see today is we're gonna see five individuals who have repented, five individuals who are going to symbolically show that they're dying to their old way of life and that they are living a brand new life because of Jesus and they've been cleansed and forgiven for their sins. And so don't, don't leave today feeling like an outcast. Jesus died as an outcast so that you could be brought in and so that you could know that God is your father and that you could become part of his family. This has been an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church or to contact us, please visit harvestbrampton.ca.